Amen. They always make me smile. I just love them. I hook forward tonight to a concert. Uh, five o'clock we'll gather here and get to hear the Pine Ridge Quartet and uh, look forward to worshiping with them and being encouraged by them. I ask that you join me in 2 Corinthians chapters 4 and 5 where Landon was reading just a few minutes ago. And as we do that, I want to talk to you a little bit about um, young people, our youth. I am always amazed at the quality and fervency of the faith of our young people and particularly our youth and college students. If I were not the pastor of Kingsville and I had children, I would be here every time that anything was going on pertaining to children or youth because I would want my kids under the encouragement and influence of Wendy and the staff she's put together and Steve and the staff that he's put together. I am so delighted. And we're getting ready to go to Ecuador and we have 17 from Kingsville going and a great number of those are from our youth and from our college students. One of the things that we do at Kingsville that's unique and uh, helps us is we try not to do um, normal or uh, traditional fundraisers. Uh, you know, selling pizzas that you really don't need or chocolate that you like but shouldn't have and just a bunch of things and uh, getting our kids selling a bunch of stuff to raise money to go on trips. What we do is we focus on ministry. And what we've been doing for the last several years, really six or seven, is asking you to invest. And it's a very simple thing that we do. In order to qualify for investment, our youth, who are going to go on the youth trip this summer, have to invest 60 hours of ministry into Kingsville Baptist Church or into what we do as a church, whether it's directly on our campus or including themselves in things that we do off-campus ministries. That means that they're teaching, they're leading, they're helping, they're serving. And there's a host of ways they do that, from Bible school and upward to working with uh, our extended care ministries to working in children's ministries. There's a load of ways that they do that. And what they do is they qualify then, after putting those hours in, they qualify for sponsorship. And so what we ask you to do is to sponsor them. Now, for one youth to go on the trip, the sponsorship that is needed is $380. So you can write that down somewhere, $380. And what we ask you to do is simply say, I'll do it. I'll do it partially, I can give X dollars toward that, or I'll do a whole one, or maybe just God has blessed you really well this year, and you'll say, hey, I'll do more than one. And so if you would take that tear-off that you have, and you could use that today, or you could do this in the coming weeks, and just say, hey, I'm in. You don't have to give today, the trip is coming up in June, and so that's a little ways down the road. But if you will invest, it will allow us to not occupy their time with fundraising, but to let them be trained and raised up doing ministry in our congregation and uh, really learning what working at the church is like. So I want to encourage you, join my family and me as we invest and we sponsor. And don't feel bad to say, I can only just give a portion of a sponsorship. Great! 
Every kind of investment matters, and God uses the diversity of gifts among us to take care of. And what's amazing is, is every year you, you do this, and it's just incredible. I'll, I'll tell you, we were speaking of Sarah Thompson. And by the way, I think Farrell needs to be taken off the senior adult list. Let me tell you why. A couple of years ago, he went to Ecuador with us. This was about five years ago. And I don't want to tell you his age, but he was about 75 years ago. And we were in Ecuador, and um, we were playing football, and Farrell ran over me. Like a fullback run over. We're, we're playing a little touch football out in the field and I'm laying there like, you know, I'm, I'm looking for a medic and Farrell's just running on down the field with a football like he was supposed to run over me. Uh, so I've been wondering about whether or not he should even be given senior adult status. I don't know if that's something we need to check on. Uh, I really want to see his birth certificate. That's, that's it. I want to know. Is this real? Say again. Okay, good, good, good. <laughs> All right, so here we go. We're going to jump in and talk about senior adults. Um, and and as, as we pull this up, go ahead to, to, to the first slide. Maturing with encouragement or aging with enjoyment. When we talk about uh, being senior, being mature, it's, it's challenging. Sometimes it's a little bit humorous. This, this morning I was kind of going back over some things and I went to a thesaurus. You know, a thesaurus is where you find synonyms. So I went to a thesaurus to get some synonyms because I was trying to think of some different ways to say the word aging. Okay? And so if you want to have some fun today, get on your computer or whatever thesaurus you have and look up the word aging. It's kind of fun. So here's what I got. Uh, Crumbling. Then declining. After that, fading. One that I thought was kind of funny was fermenting. (laughs) I'm looking at you, Farrell. I'm looking at you. Maturing. I was hopeful in that one. Another hopeful one, mellowing. All right. This one was tough. Slumping. Slumping. I kind of sat down in my chair when I read that. Stale. (laughs) Waning. And the last one was wearing out. And I thought... I don't think this is where I want to go today with a message about senior adults, but there there is a sense in which I think we've tried to cover aging with a couple of things that are kind of indicative of our inability to really talk frankly about it. We, We cover it with what we just did. We kind of do humor. We talk about some humorous things about, you know, the guys who were growing hard of hearing. The three of them were walking together and uh, the one said, uh, Wendy, isn't it? And the second one said, no, no, I think it's Thursday. And the third one said, me too, let's go get a cup of coffee. And so we kind of joke about it. And that's one of our ways of coping with aging. Another way is we try to avoid it. We try to look as young as we can. We don't talk about our age when we get past like 29. We're a little iffy on telling our age in certain circles. And and so we kind of do a little avoidance maneuver, join the health club and try to be as fit as possible. And I'm all for being good and and fit. That's, That's a good thing, taking care of our bodies. But I think that between the humor and the avoidance, what happens is while we're aging and and not able to really frankly talk about it, we're very prone to make some mistakes and become depressed or discouraged. Especially when sickness sets in and inability begins to creep in on us. 
whether it's mental inability, we're not as sharp as we once were. I was joking with somebody yesterday about memory loss and these things we call senior moments and, and uh, about not remembering somebody's name. I'm staring at somebody I know very well, and I go, I can't remember the name. We were just doing baptism, and one of the things that the ladies in the office do for me every time we do baptism is they print out the baptismal candidates' names so that when I'm standing up there and I have this senior moment, I've got that name right in front of me. So I was telling Allison, I said, the worst thing you can do is call somebody the wrong name while you're baptizing them. So um, we, we deal with those things, and we, we it's, it's a struggle. And we laugh a little bit about it, but the truth is it bugs us. We, we go from one room to the next, and when we're, when we're saying, why did I come in this room? What was I looking for? Um, and so we, we wrestle with some of those things as, as we begin to age, and it's, it's kind of discouraging. And so I think Paul does us a great favor. In fact, Ecclesiastes 12. You read Ecclesiastes 12, and you're like, Remember the Creator in the days of your youth before the days come when. And basically it lays out this whole list of things to expect when you get older that are not pleasant. And you go, oh, that's that's hard. You read through that list in chapter 12 of Ecclesiastes and you say, wow, I'm, I'm having to deal with all that. How will, I, how will I face it when I walk through it? What is that like? And so Paul does it masterfully in 2 Corinthians 4 and 5. So beautifully that I want to walk you through it today. Because I want you to be encouraged. I really do want you to mature with encouragement. I want to do that. And I want you to age with enjoyment. I want to do that. And I think that the Bible provides all of the necessary components in our salvation and in the Lord's Word to age with enjoyment, and to to mature with encouragement. So I want to work backwards through the text. Because there's something at the end of this particular text that sets the tone for everything that he has written. And in fact, it's what everything he has written is leading up to. So it kind of sets the tone for us. So let's do that. Let's start. Number one, there is a pursuit that simplifies. Life is complex. And as we age, we are faced with so many things. Thinking about retirement, planning for retirement, thinking about our passing. What will our spouse do? What will our children do? What would our grandchildren do? Planning for the time when our income is going to shift from active working to the dependence on the retirement income uh, or Social Security. There's just a lot of things going on, and it can get really um, challenging and upsetting and, and complex when we're moving toward that, and all of a sudden we start losing focus. And so I think that Paul gives us one pursuit that simplifies everything and helps get it down to say, okay, what's important here? As I age, what's really important? So Paul does it in chapter 5. So we're going to end, begin with the end and then work our way back to the beginning. So... The pursuit that simplifies is found in chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians, verses 9 and 10. It's a combo. It's two things that come down to one pursuit. So let's see it. Verse 
9. Therefore, we have as our ambition. That's where I get the word pursuit. Our ambition. You pursue whatever your ambition is. You go after it. You follow it. You chase it. Whatever your ambition is, is what you're going to do with your time and your energy and your money and your stuff and and, and your thoughts. That's what you're going to do. And so here's that pursuit that simplifies things. What is it? Well, we have as our ambition, he says, to be, the last part of verse 9, pleasing to him. So if I want to simplify my aging process, I need to just get down to this. What I do with the rest of my days needs to be single in its pursuit. I want to please Jesus. That's just what I want to do. I just want to do that. I want to to take all the muddle out and I want to just reduce it down. I want to be pleasing to Him. That's what I want to do. Get out of all the complexities. I want to make some decisions as I make them. As I make that decision, I need to say, Lord, what is pleasing to you? What does your word say is pleasing? What does your spirit say is pleasing? What does your church in its accountability to me as a person who's aging, what does a church point me to that is pleasing in your word? What is pleasing? So that's what I, that's what I want my pursuit to be, my ambition. And it simplifies everything because that's the final answer. Some of the decisions I might make as I age may not please my children, may not please my grandchildren, may not please my neighbors, may not please somebody who's analyzing my life, but I just want to please this one. But but Paul tells us why we want to please him. There's this sense in which Paul's coming out of salvation, wanting to please Jesus because he's what he's done, but he's also going into judgment. So look in verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. When when I get there, what everybody else thinks really is not going to matter. What all the people who've been analyzing me into my senior years, what all they've thought of me, what they've said of me, how they've spoken of me, everything in that, that's not going to matter. I'm not going to be standing there thinking, well, I wonder what so-and-so thinks. That's not happening. I'm going to stand in front of Jesus, and I am going to give an account for my existence. And if I can simplify everything down, I just want to please Him. Now, this just clarifies so much. It just simplifies so much. I just want to please Him. So when I, when I decide to do this or this or this, give this, go here, use my time this way, I've got all of these things. Often in our senior years, we actually have a little more time to invest in things than we did before. And so I want to be pleasing. I, I, I sat with Farrell. And by the way, 30 minutes with Farrell is like two hours with somebody else. This guy's got so much energy. And he's got so much passion for evangelism. I know very few people who are as committed to the gospel as Pharaoh Roden is. And he loves to tell people about Jesus. So he comes by this week to talk about serving in Ecuador. We're talking about some of the, the earthquake relief and the evangelism that we need to do behind this. And so we're making some plans for the future together. And, and I just, I'm spending this time with Pharaoh. And, and Pharaoh just vomits out onto my desk this one thing. He says, I just, I just want to please Jesus. And I thought, that's a beautiful thing. 
And it's so simple. And if that lays under everything else, everything else is guided in the right way. So that's the pursuit that simplifies. I want to be pleasing because I'm going to give an answer to Him. I'm going to stand before Him. I'm going to look at the One who became flesh. I'm going to look at the One who endured temptation without sinning. I'm going to look at the One who was punished on my behalf, who bore my transgression, who was pierced through for my transgression, who was wounded for my iniquities, the punishment for my well-being fell upon Him, and by His stripes I am healed. I'm going to look at Him face to face. And I want to please Him. I I, I want to hear these words. I just want to hear this. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been a good steward of a few little things. I'm going to put you in charge of much. Enter the joy of your Master. And so what Paul does is he says, when you're navigating seniorhood, this is the thing that simplifies everything else. Live it out so that you're pleasing to Him because you're nearer to standing in front of Him than you've ever been before. And not that we're guaranteed that any of us, I joke with Miss Wanda, we had a good interaction this past week. I uh, I think most of you knew I, I was having a heart uh, test this week, um, this past Monday, I, I had a stress test, one of those treadmill things. I felt like a little hamster on that thing and uh, get on the treadmill and uh, I get done with it. And the doctor, uh, same doctor that uh, Miss Faye and, uh, has and Brother Jim had and uh, just a sweet guy. And, and he reads all the info and he turns around to me. And he says, you're the man. Go get back on your bike. I said, Yes. So Miss Wanda calls me that evening. She knew the test was going on. She says, well, how'd it go? I said, well, let me precede that. With I had a conversation with her a couple of years ago. I said, Miss, Miss Wanda, I think you're going to outlive me. And so I, I want you to go ahead and prepare some nice things to say about me at my funeral. And so she calls me and she says, how'd it go? I said, oh, it's great. Here's what the doctor said. He said, you the man, get back on your bike. She said, oh, I guess I don't have to prepare that funeral sermon then. <laughs> Yeah, that's great. Um, so, now let's lead on through. I got a lot to cover, and I could camp on this text forever. Number two, there are purposes that clarify. Now, here's what happens. There are a lot of things that happen to us in life, and some of those seem to increase as we age. Our debilitating things, our, our, our aging process that begins to wear on us, and there's suffering, and there's sickness, and there's death, and there's all these things that seem to come with that. Uh, and so the, the process of it is really hard. And so Paul takes that into account and he lays out several things in chapter 4 leading into chapter 5 that help us. And they're all purposes. Now, they're not all ultimate purposes, but they're purposes along the way that lead to an ultimate purpose. And we'll, we'll get to that ultimate purpose uh, in a minute. Uh, but it's purposes that clarify. So the, the first is... When God clarifies the purpose of your weaknesses. Our weaknesses tend to increase as we get older rather than decrease. Through the aging process, and Paul was very frank about it, he said, you know, we're, we're 
we're breaking down. And he uses the analogy in chapter 4, verse 7. He says, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Interesting thing about these clay pots is they're fragile. They break easily. Um, they're, they're, they're very common, but, but they're, they, they break very easily. You bump them into each other and they crack and you drop them and they shatter. And, and, and he's saying, you know, your body is a very fragile, it's a very delicate thing. And it's wearing out and it's wearing down. And so Paul does something here to clarify your weaknesses. Listen in verse 7. He says, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that, so that's a purpose statement, so that... The surpassing greatness of the power may be of God and not from ourselves. What does he mean? Well, it's like this. Vessels are used to contain something. Paul says your vessel as a believer contains a treasure. It's a twofold treasure. First, your born-again soul that's going to live forever with Jesus is considered a treasure. But it is also carrying the treasure of the gospel. So it's a twofold treasure. It is the treasure of eternal life that you possess and eternal life that you evangelize with, that you offer to others through the gospel. So you're bearing this, this treasure in an earthen vessel. The, the best way I can think of it, there's two ways that I thought about it this week. One is, remember when the woman broke the alabaster jar over Jesus and anointed him. Do you remember that event? And Judas, who was a, a, he was greedy, got mad about it and complained that, that it was wasted on Jesus. Well, it's interesting, the alabaster jar was worth nothing itself. You could get them made every day down at the local pottery shop. But what was valuable was what it contained, It was worth an entire year's wages. And so when that thing was broken, it was kind of just poured out. It was spilled out. And and Judas hated that because he somehow pilfered the money back and he wanted that money instead of that honor for Jesus. And so your your body is, is, is a container carrying something very precious. Your eternal life that's been given to you and the message of eternal life that is given through you. It is something both that you possess and that you pass on. And so that treasure that you're carrying around is the gospel and its ramifications to you and to others. It's a glorious thing. You're carrying that which can save humans eternally. You're toting that around in this earthen vessel. The other way that I look at it is like a picture frame. Nobody goes to the art exhibit and walks out afterwards saying, golly, did y'all see those picture frames? I mean, I was just so... The the frames were just the highlight of... No, nobody does that. They walk in and they say, well, did you see that beautiful artwork? Did you see the glorious painting? Why? Well, that's what you're there. But the, the, the picture frame's doing nothing more than the opportunity to display it. You and your weaknesses and in your aging are like a picture frame with a nice, what the collectors call, a nice patina. Y'all know what that is? It's that look of oldness that's treasured and valuable. I just recently got a new mantle in my home. It was built and given to me by a dear friend back in the first church that I served as senior pastor at in Pearl River. And and it's out of a 200-year-old home in New Orleans. And it's some of the original old beams, and this was made out of that. And there's a certain patina to it, this beautiful aged effect. Well, you have a certain patina on you that allows you to frame beautifully the life of Christ. Look, he says it. I'm I'm not making this up. He says, 
Verse 8. We're afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. In other words, your job is to show off Jesus. You're a picture frame of a portrait of Christ. Displaying him to everyone you meet. It's not your picture. It's not about you displaying yourself to others so they can see you and give you glory. Jesus said, let your light shine before men so that they may see your works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. It is Jesus that you are showing. So whether you're the alabaster vial that's carrying this beautiful treasure or whether you're the picture frame, part of the clarity of your suffering and what's going on in your weakness is that God is using it to display himself. He's using it to display Himself. He's using it to display His Son. But it's also true in the clarifying of your dying. Look at this, and this understanding was born in me a few months ago as I was doing the funeral for Judy Robertson. Rodney and I had this conversation, and I just love Rodney. Do you all love Rodney? I love Rodney. He just encourages me. And, and he taught me so much in watching him operate through this. And Rodney's going to punch me later, but he is a little older than me, and I don't think it'll be as bad as like when Farrell punched me. Uh, okay, so here we go. Um, look at what he says here. He says, verse 12, So death works us, but life in you. Rodney asked me a question in preparing for and leading up to Judy's funeral. He'd been to a funeral I'd preached a few weeks before, And I had talked about how the decaying process allows us to be renewed day by day. We're going to talk about that in a second. But he talked to me. He said, Bart, I don't think Judy's very conscious. How can can something be helping her when she's not really conscious? Which I thought was a great question. And so it sent me back to thinking and looking at the Lord's Word. And this was the text that the Lord brought me to and helped me with this. It says, so death works in us, but life in you. As God works in you towards your death, He is using it for purposes that are far beyond you. That you cannot see, that you are not conscious of, that you're not even aware of, that He's actually working in other people. And he's working that out through your dying. You see, in God's economy, nothing is wasted, even your death. Even if your death is prolonged over a long period of time. When my father was dying, I learned what it was like to hope in Jesus alone. I watched my dad go from 225 strapping pounds, six foot two, I'm nothing like him, and down to 113 pounds and a skeleton of a man. I watched that happen over 18 months. I was 17 years old. It was a lot to soak in. But what I watched my dad do was just this one thing. Through the whole process, he just had one hope. And when he was reduced to a monosyllabic vocabulary, He said just one thing, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And it still rings in me that through his death, life worked in me. And it taught me that when there is nothing else, there is Jesus. And so 
when you are dying, when you are incapacitated, when all that's going on and you say, I don't want them to see me uh, suffering. I don't want them to, 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 I don't want to be a burden to anyone. I, I don't want to intrude on their lives. Listen carefully to this. God is going to use your demise to work life in somebody else. So Paul just boldly said it. Death works in us, but life in you. So that Paul knew that even in his dying, his being poured out as a drink offering, he says in in 2 Timothy, that life was working. Think of all that God gave us through Paul's dying. Think of how he wrote 2 Timothy, knowing that his end was coming and what he poured out to us in that precious book. And so... There is this sense in which the clarification, not of just our weakness, but also of our dying. But, but he goes further. There's a clarification in the act of suffering itself. What he's doing is he's clarifying that suffering is not wasted. One of my favorite texts in the whole Bible is found in verse 17 of chapter 4. And this is glorious and it's one of those incredible... Uh, if, if you could think of your experiences of suffering as a factory, okay? Think of it as a factory. Picture a factory in your mind. Factories have two ends. They have the end that resources and materials come into, and then they have the end that product goes out of, because factories produce things, right? They produce things. If you if it's a Nissan factory, at one end you got Labor and you've got employees and you've got metal and you've got parts and you've got all this coming in. And at the other end, you've got cars coming out. So it's producing something. Look at what Paul says here in verse 17 about the factory of your life. For momentary light affliction is producing. There's the word producing. That's the factory. Your life is a factory. On one end of your life coming in as resources is the world, the flesh, and the devil. And the fall are all throwing on you momentary light affliction. That's what's coming in one end of your factory. And you say, wait a minute, my affliction doesn't feel light. Oh, it does when you compare. When you compare eternity... With your 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 years, it's momentary. Light? Pastor Bart, you, you, you're going to use the word light for what I'm going through? They dropped the C word on me. I got cancer. Paul says, after receiving the stripes from the Jews on three occasions and being beaten with rods five times, Paul says it's light. Why? It's light in comparison with what's coming. Affliction. You say affliction? And so here's the world, the flesh, the devil, the fall, bringing into the factory of our lives this affliction. But look at what's coming out the other end. He says, is producing for us, and he says three words. First three words are momentary light affliction. But at the other end of the factory, eternal weight of glory. Momentary, eternal Light, weight, affliction, glory. You see, God has designed your life as a believer to be such that you are a factory of glory. And that if you trust Him, 
and you follow Jesus, that all that the world ever throws at you will seem momentary. All that the world ever throws at you will feel light. And all that the world can ever give you is affliction. But on the other end, it is an eternal. It is a heavy weight. And it is glory. And so what is happening is that Paul is clarifying in your life that your suffering is actually producing something eternal. Right now. Your factory may be running at full capacity. And you may be taking in all you feel like you can take. You may be loaded. It may feel like that the loading dock of what's coming into the factory of your life is like stacked up. And God says, no matter what the world, the flesh, the devil, and the fall throw at you, if you follow Jesus on the other side, when you pass through that thing called death, And those angels come and they get you and they take you to Jesus and that eternal weight of God's glorious presence in the person of Jesus and in the place of heaven for all of eternity. When we've been there 10,000 years, we've no less days to sing His praise than when we'd first begun. That's eternal weight of glory. So He's clarifying. Now, he's clarifying one other thing, and, and, and I'm really going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to just tie this up and move to the end because I could camp on this. Like, i got five more things I could tell you, but I'm not. Clarifying my hope. So he's clarifying some things. He's clarifying my, my death. He's clarifying my, my suffering. He's clarifying my weaknesses. Now he's clarifying my hope. This is really important, and he does that in chapter 5 in the first few verses. He says, For we know that if the earthly tent which is our house is torn down... Listen, we cling to this body. I don't know about y'all, but I really struggle with the idea of just aging and, and thinking of death. And, you know, when I was getting ready to take this, um, this stress test, I was thinking, I'm going to get on that treadmill. They're going to see some kind of really bad thing, and they're going to grab me and jerk me off the treadmill and run me down to emergency surgery. You know how you think all the bad things? You ever do that? I'm just kind of dumb that way. And so I'm just thinking, you know, and, and Sherry's not here to give me a smooch before I go in. I've got all these things going on. And, and so I'm, I'm thinking that through because we, we're, we want to cling to life. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. But here he says, for if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down. In other words, it's coming. Your little tent is going to be torn down. I don't care what kind of maintenance you're doing on your tent. The word he uses here, earthly tent, means temporary. That's the point of the word. It kind of reflects back to the Israelites being in the wilderness and living in tents. It's it's temporary. And so here it is. What do we do in this tent? Well, he says, here's what we do. Verse 2, he says, for indeed in this house we groan. (laughs) You ever groaned? Come on. Is there a groaner among us? I hear it. Groan like you groan when you're getting out of bed in the morning and you're sore. Oh, yeah. Okay. Longing to be clothed from our, with our dwelling from on high. Look in verse 4. For indeed, while we are in this tent, we groan being burdened. So he says, it's a groan. So what is God doing? Here's what God's doing. He is breaking your dependence on the hope of life in this world. That's what he's doing right now. He's clarifying to you that this thing you're living in is not going to last. And every time something else breaks in your body, you know what God says? I'm clarifying your hope. Your hope is not in this body and it is not in this world. What did the Apostle Paul said? He said, if we hope for life in this world alone, we of most men are to be pitied. 
Why? Our, our hope's in the resurrection. That's why in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, listen to what he says. This is, this is awesome. 2 Corinthians 1, he says, verse 8. For we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves in order that we should not trust in ourselves. Whoa! What's Paul saying? He's saying, God let us get to the place where we no longer had confidence that we could survive on our own. Sometimes God takes you right to the edge and says, quit. Quit trusting your body. Quit trusting your strength. Quit trusting your wisdom. Quit trusting your smarts. Quit trusting your money. Quit trusting your doctor. Quit trusting that stuff. Because at some point, you've got to shift your hope out of this body. And so Paul wants to clarify that. So Paul says, read the, read the purpose phrase at the end of verse 9. In order that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. The resurrection. Here's the great thing. Look, I've, got a, I've got a test coming up in a few weeks. I've got to have a biopsy in a few weeks. I got some reports uh, um, about two weeks ago. My PSA numbers are really, really high. They're, they're, my PSA numbers are like a person in their 80s. And, and so there's this indication that I might have prostate cancer. So they're going to go in, they're going to do this biopsy in a few weeks. And, and one of the things that God's been working through this is saying to me, you know, Bart, I don't know if you've really been thinking about this, but you need to, you need to start thinking about this. Your hope's not in whether or not you survive. Your hope's in the resurrection. That's your hope. And so the Lord's just been working that in me. So here, He's clarifying our hope. And what does He say? He says it. Go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and then I can kind of tie a bow on the end of this, and we'll close. He says in chapter 5, For indeed we are uh, in this tent we groan being burdened, because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed, in order that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. This is a beautiful statement that... Like, it's, it's as strange, it's like this varmint, this animal, this living thing, taking something that's dead into it and producing life with it. It's a weird picture that I'm going to be swallowed up by life, that this body that's failing and fading is going to be swallowed up by life. That's a beautiful thing. And so Paul says, let me clarify your hope. So he's clarified these things. Okay, so let me give you the last three things. You kind of cook on these and think about them in the coming days. And I really encourage you, pour over this text. It's a great text. Number three, there's a power that fortifies. Paul has not left us to navigate this by ourselves. He says it so beautifully in verse 5 of chapter 5. Now, he who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave to us the Spirit as a pledge. You are not going through this without help. God has put a longing, a yearning, a being into you. His name is the Holy Spirit. He lives in you. You are His temple. He abides. He dwells. He never departs. He illuminates. He encourages. In fact, Jesus called Him a comforter. And so He's walking not just alongside, but inside. And this comforter, this person, the Holy Spirit, is not letting you navigate one moment of your aging process by yourself. Listen. A lot of folks say the worst thing that could happen to me is be alone in the nursing home. No, it is not. The worst thing that happened to you is not to have God with you alone in the nursing home. To be sitting there with no one inside and no one outside. 
Because when all those outside, I've met, I, I had a sweet, sweet time. Dear sister in the Lord this week, got to go by and visit with her and spend some time and helping her prepare for her funeral. And so she's getting ready to, to go be with the Lord. And she said this. She said, I'm so old that all the people that I know have already died. There's a time that that's going to come. But you know what? Right there in her bed, she was confident there was one who was with her. And that was the Lord. Jesus was there. The Holy Spirit was there. God the Father inhabiting her and never letting her be alone. He's with us. And so the Spirit's been given to us as a pledge. Number four, there is a presence that satisfies. This is glorious because this is where we're headed. And this is the thing that Paul's been leading up to. What is that presence? He says in verse six, therefore, being always of good courage and knowing that while we're at home in the body, we're absent from the Lord. Mm, That's tough. We don't have the fullness of the presence of Jesus. We have the fullness of the presence of the Holy Spirit. But we don't get to look face to face with Jesus. And so all of a sudden it says in verse 7, we walk by faith, not by sight. Verse 8, we are of good courage. And I say, prefer rather to be absent from the body to be where? At home with the Lord. That's the presence that satisfies That glorious day, that moment when you slip out of this life and death comes to actually serve you, you don't have to fear Him. He's still an enemy to the world, but He cannot do anything to you except deliver you somewhere. And when death comes to get you and He stops by at your house at some point or at your hospital or where it is that you meet Him, He's going to stop by and He's just got one thing He can do. He can only deliver you into the hands of the angels that take you to the presence of Jesus. And you will be satisfied. All of your longings, all of your desires, all of your imaginations, all of your dreams will be fully, perfectly, totally, absolutely, and eternally fulfilled in this one presence that satisfies. So number five, let's close it here. There is a preference that intensifies. Paul says it. Look in verse 8 again. We are of good courage, and I say and prefer rather to leave our bodies and be with our Lord. How strong is that preference in Paul? Come with me to Philippians and we close here. Slip over to Philippians chapter 1. That preference is intensifying. Why is it intensifying? Well, as you grow in your love of Jesus, as you grow in your intimacy with Him, as you grow in your desire for what is permanent rather than what is passing, as you grow in your desire for what is eternal versus that which is temporal, that intensification will grow your desire to want to be with Jesus himself. So much so that Paul put it this way in chapter 1 of Philippians, verse 21. And this is glorious. Here it is. For to me, to live is Christ, yet to die is gain. But if I'm to live on in the flesh, that will mean fruitful labor for me. And I don't know which to choose. Well, what do you mean? How's Paul choosing? Well, Paul's in prison. And there's a possible death sentence. And so Paul's praying about his death sentence. And he's really not sure which way to pray. Now think about this. Think if there was a potential death sentence on you. And you were in prison for your faith. And you're sitting there and you know that there's a potential death sentence. And you sit there and you say, well, how am I going to pray? Well, I believe that most of us, because we're not right where we ought to be, would start saying, oh, dear God, oh, dear God, oh, dear God, no, don't let them kill me, please, God. Paul says, I'm not sure how to pray about this. Because I believe the Lord answers prayers, and if I ask Him to stay, I'm afraid He'll say yes. 
wait, what? Yeah, he says it. Look, he says, if I'm to live on in the flesh, that will mean fruitful labor for me. But I don't know which to choose. I'm hard pressed from both directions. Why? Having the desire to be, to depart and be with Christ for that is very much better. So Paul is sitting in his prison cell. He's writing a letter to encourage a church that was born in adversity when he was whipped and when he was beaten and an earthquake came and the Lord saved the jailer and God began doing a work in that city and great things happened in Philippi and he's writing a letter of encouragement. He's in jail and there's a death sentence and he's just being honest and he says, you know, I'm having a hard time praying today. Because if I pray for the Lord to deliver me, I know it'll be fruitful labor and I'll be able to write more letters and do more apostle work and do more evangelism. That's great. But I'm hard-pressed from both sides because really, there's something intensifying in me as I'm aging, as I'm maturing, as I'm growing in my faith and in my intimacy. I got a yearning. I have a desire. That desire is intensifying. It's growing. And that desire is to depart and be with Jesus. Because truthfully, that is so much better. Then we practice that at funerals. We're at the funeral of a believer. We all gather around the casket and everybody's looking in the casket. I've often wondered what that'll be like when I'm the one there. Don't you think about stuff like that? Go ahead and laugh. It's, I just wonder, what are they going to say? You know? I hope they say this. What we always say. Well, he's in a better place. Now we say it like we're almost bored with it. But it's true. I want you to think about what's going to happen the moment you die as a believer. Angels are going to rush to you and grab you. And they're going to whisk you away. And they're going to bring you. And you're going to behold the one who gave his life for you. And it's going to be glorious. And Paul says, you know what? It's my preference. And you know the testimony of the church would be so glorious. If we could just go out of here today saying, you know what, no matter what happens, I'm going to give my life to this cause. I'm going to evangelize. I'm going to go all over the globe. I'm going to do everything God calls me to do. Because I ain't afraid to die. Because death can only do one thing for me. It can give me my preference. It can take me to Jesus. I want to age with this confidence. I want to mature with this comfort. And I want you to also. But I have to tell you, it only comes from Jesus. I want to invite you to Him. I want to invite you to trust that He wants to give you such joy in your journey that you long, groan, mourn, and desire to be with Him. So that you'll live this life out like Paul did saying, hey, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Would you bow with me? So as you leave today, I want you to think of yourself in a certain way. 
I want you to think yourself as a picture frame. Nice patina on it. Not showing off who you are. But just framing up a portrait of who Christ is. And simply saying to Jesus today, Jesus, that's what I want. In my aging, in my maturing, in my weakness, in my suffering, in my death. I just want to frame up a picture of you so that you'd be manifested in me and that my greatest desire would be either to live and be fruitful labor for Christ or to die and it'd be better with Christ. God grant your church this beautiful desire. Some of you are here today and you don't have the confidence I've spoken of. You're dealing with some issues and Death is not something that's even slightly an idea that you would entertain as being anything other than a pure horror. It's because you're not certain about what's on the other side or who's going to be there to meet you. I want to tell you that Jesus has done everything to make you acceptable to God the Father so that you could stand in Him completely forgiven, accepted, and have eternal life. He did it first by being willing to come to the earth and take on flesh. Second, by in that flesh never sinning, living out perfectly. And third, He did what He did at the cross by dying for your sins. God the Father raised Him from the dead as a certification, a verification that what He had done was sufficient for our salvation. And if you would turn from your sin and your selfishness right now and place your faith in Jesus, God could grow in you the very desires that Paul had. The desire to depart and be with Christ or to stay on and do fruitful labor for Christ. He'll give that to you if you ask Him. Would you pray to Him now? Pray with me. God, You made me. And I offended You by my sin. I believe that Jesus came to live the way I should have lived and to die the way I should have died. I believe You raised Him from the dead. And I trust Him right now to save me. And so I'm calling on You, God. Forgive me of my sins. Grant me eternal life. Save my soul because I believe in Jesus. And I receive Him personally. As my Savior. Oh, the Bible says, whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I want you to leave with the confidence of the Apostle Paul today. To live as Christ. To die as gain. Would you stand as God works in your heart? Would you come?